this is Champagne Divorce Party, where we talk to inspiring women who have turned their divorce into the best thing that ever happened to them. We're your hosts. I'm Carolyn. And I'm Gillian. We're best friends who have not only survived brutal divorces ourselves, but thrived in our lives post-divorce. And now we run Champagne Divorce Club, where we help women navigate their separation, heal their hearts, and transform their lives. Today, we're joined by Jemima Ashley. Jemima says she's absolutely thrived since her divorce. She was with her partner for seven years with her marriage ending abruptly one Friday night and her husband moving out on Saturday. Mm. Jemima sold everything she could and lived out of a suitcase, living her best life, which included getting banned for life from the Viper Room in LA Mm. until COVID clipped her wings. She's now happily living in Melbourne and dipping her toe back into the dating pool. Welcome, Jemima. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Um, yeah, and look, we love hearing about the ways that women handle their newfound freedom after the end of a major relationship. And it sounds like you did a great job of letting loose and finding yourself, your gorgeous self. We can't wait to hear about that Viper Room story. Um, but let's start a little at the beginning. Hey, can you sure about the marriage you were in? You know, how long were you married and how old were you when you met? Uh, so I was 26 when we met. So it was kind of like the perfect dating age. Um, and we were together for, yeah, just about seven years. Um, and we were married for only 10 months. Mm. Wow. Mm. Well, at least you worked that early. A hundred percent. I mean, these women who are like, I was married for 40 years and it all went badly. I was like, oh, thank God I dodged that bullet. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Sort it out, get it done. How how would you, um, obviously you were, you know, you were together for a little while though. So how would you describe your relationship? It was really good. I I thought it was really good. Um, our marriage was, uh, our relationship was really good. We we met through mutual friends and we had the opportunity to connect um, socially for a very long time. So we were just very much friends for three or four months. And then, um, you know, it was just like we we hung out one night alone. I was like, oh, this, this guy who I think is so cute, I might die just by looking at him. I was like <laughs> a little like the cutest guy in the entire stage. Um, we, yeah, we, we kissed one night and it was kind of this happy ever, what I felt like was a happy ever after. Um, our marriage and our relationship wasn't perfect. We certainly hit some, some bumps in the road. And I think in hindsight now and the beautiful gift of hindsight and separation and divorce and all of that rubbish is that I think at the five years, we probably needed to have a different discussion rather than, hi, we should probably think about getting married because everyone thinks we should versus maybe this isn't what we want. I think this was a fundamental kind of lesson for me about learning about, um, you know, it was, it was really difficult time for me because I was like, do I admit in hindsight, I realized, should I admit that I wasted the last five years of my life with someone and not continue to waste the next few years getting out of it. So. Yeah. I think it's a really common thing that I don't know if if men talk about it, but we hear a lot about women sort of doubling down on on mistakes and kind of just trying to make them to prove that they weren't a mistake Mm. after all. Mm. Yeah. I I doubled down hard to the point where I said, yes, even though the gut feeling was, are we sure we're doing this? And it was honestly at that point, like our careers had changed and we weren't the people that we were were in our mid twenties. Like we were 20, we were babies when we met, like we're in our thirties. Everyone's like, when are you getting married? When are you having children? And it was that pressure to then jump in and put the ring on it and walk down the aisle and all those things. I was like, I don't want to do any of this. Totally. And, you know, trusting your gut instinct and doing all of that. Sometimes we, we've spoken to a lot of women who said there were red flags and they kind of, 
ignored them and they didn't trust their gut and, you know, so it's certainly um, something that we hear of a lot. Um, so how did things actually come to an end with you guys? Yeah, it's a it's a... It's a story that um, I think a tale as old as time and it's it's not something I'm publicly able to kind of break down uh, that. There's a beautiful thing of a non-disclosure agreement I was hit with. But what I will say <laughs> is that um, I, I'm not the one that issued it. So maybe I'm not the one completely at fault here. So it was, um, it was a little bit blindsiding. Um, and I think that was a, a challenge for me. I didn't really see everything changing, but as quickly as it did because it was a Friday night after a date night to suddenly my husband's moving out now. Wow, date yeah. night. Yeah. Worth we went, for, we went to Turkish. So I can tell you what happened. We went to Turkish and we had our uh, normal night. It just like the night felt off in hindsight. Like I was asking questions like trying to reinvigorate everything. I'm like, do you want to go to do you want to go to the UK this year? And he's like, no. I'm like, hey, do you want to go to, to Italy? Do you want to go to Turkey? I've been there. I'd love to take you. He's like, yeah. Not really. And he was like, I need to go to I need to go to Kmart and get some socks. So we went to Kmart, which is not a terrible day night, just so you know. Like I'm a huge Kmart fan, let's go. <laughs> but it was just this moment of like I realized I was kind of annoying him by by saying, Which ones do you want? This one is like, I don't care, just get a pair. And I was like, What's wrong with you? Like, is everything okay? And then everything when we got home kind of from zero to hundred pretty quickly. So um yeah, and then I slept on the couch and said, maybe you could get out of my house. Very calm, um, how it all went down. And there was no, we didn't really have that, that tale as old as time screaming match that people talk about. It was just, it wasn't, it was just sort of, we had this like moment it came out where it felt like a storm that had started and then it was just all calm afterwards. And it was, it was actually, if, if you have to go through something that horrific, it's how I'd recommend doing it. Don't get me wrong, I did think about grabbing the, the TV and throwing it down the staircase, but I realised I'd have to clean it up and I wouldn't do any of that. Yeah, and you need to buy a new TV. Oh, how annoying. Like, <laughs> end up selling it later, but, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> um, so, so he leaves on the Saturday. Yeah. Um, can you talk us through those early days? How were you feeling? What state were you in? What were your biggest challenges at that point? It was the hardest thing was, you know, we had a three bedroom house and suddenly I've gone from, you know, and I've got things on, on the Saturday, which of course I'm not going to remember any of this. Like the, that real kind of moment was I don't sleep during the night. It's sort of an 8am and I'm like, you have to get out of here. I'm going to kill you or myself or something. Just everyone needs to just get into their alone zones, please. Like just get out of my space. Um, so he leaves and goes to his brother's and I uh, fall asleep on the couch finally. And now <clears throat> let me be clear on this one that this is a weird ha a hobby that I have or a habit, but when I'm really sad, the thing that makes me feel better is horror movies. So I put on the 1990 classic of Scream and fall asleep. Yeah. Something about like I just can't watch people in love at the moment. Like I'm not hitting the like I can't watch Notting Hill right yeah. now. So I'm watching Scream <laughs> and I fall asleep. And I have like a, a I had a media drive that would just tick on to the next movie. So I miss Park Run. I don't even know where my phone is. And I um one of my friends, one of my supposed to meet, is now genuinely concerned, ringing me. I'm not answering. I didn't even know where it was. I think it was flat battery. So he turns up at my house and all he can hear is screaming from this movie. I'm unconscious asleep. <laughs> He's like, I thought you were dead. Like, honestly, I thought you were dead. So um, the thing that I immediately had was people around me that I didn't ask to be there, which was a really 
a bonus that I wasn't expecting. But also I had um, just some normalcy given to me in the first day or two. I didn't tell anyone at that point. Like I hadn't rang my family. I didn't. It was just that real shock, that shock part. It would take me a couple of days to pick the phone up to make those phone calls. Um, and I did it all via video because I didn't want to do it over the phone. And I wanted people to see me to know that I was okay. None of my family I was living in Canberra in the ACT. None of my family lived there. They were all interstate and at least 10 to 12 hours away. All of his family were just down the road. So it was <laughs> quite isolating and yeah. all the people that I knew, he knew as well and they were his friends also. So yeah. it was that real, um, it was that very, I felt very alone and very isolated in the house in the city that I didn't really want to be in and I didn't really have a choice in it. So that was probably the start of it. But the blessing was that friend that turned up was just gave me a forced day of normalcy. It was like, right, okay, what's wrong with you? And I was like, how do I even put this? Thing? Like, what? I don't even know what's happening. Like, because you are in an absolute state of shock. And as most people will tell you who go through this, there's not a day is not clear defined days. Like, I don't really know what happened in the next couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. It all blends together. Yeah. yeah. I definitely can relate to that. Mine was very sudden and um, yeah, it was, it was such a shock and I don't know what I did. I mean, I did call you and I think, well, unlike you, Jemima, I think Jill, we watched a lot of 30 rock. <laughs> oh, <laughs> great show. The- Tina Fey would fix <laughs> anything. I get it. <laughs> so um so yeah. yeah we went into romance either but we certainly watched a lot of comedy mm. um so how did you so then you went overseas how did that happen yeah so I really about three or four days later so um three or four days later I my best friend who again lived in a different state would text me every morning and she would check in and she'd ask me four simple questions. Have you had water? Have you had a shower? Have you had coffee? And have you had food? And I'd get that at about 11. And I had to message her back and take yes to those. So it was like she kept me on this, I'm going to need you to get off the floor, have a shower and just drink some water. I don't care how much it is, just make sure. Because she can't be there and that that desire to, to, to protect and to love. And that was her only way that she could do anything for me at that point. So it's like 11am and I've kind of wandered down the stairs to go, yes, I've had food and I had to send her a photo. It was a whole thing that we got into, which I really needed. Like, honestly, I needed someone to parent me just for a bit. And, um, she, she, uh, I walked down the stairs and I stood in the kitchen and I remember the moment is there are, there are really defining moments of your divorce. And I think there are moments where every woman will say to you, and probably men, not that I've asked too many men this question, but every woman was talking to is like, I know what you're talking about. There's probably like a handful of times where it's so clear, like it's that, bef- that you know, that before and after moment, there is never going to, it's never going to be the same again. It's kind of the first one. The second one was what the hell is going on for me? And I stood in my kitchen and I stood at this bench and I looked at the kitchen table and the first thought was I fucking hate that table. And I looked around and I looked outside and I was like, I fucking hate this house. And I, it really clicked for me at that second of how much of my life is a compromise. Mm. I'm now realising that, like, you know, I'm pretty bright, but honestly this was kind of like, I was like, oof, the, the flags, the things that I should have recognised earlier, that gut feeling, none of my family were there. The only friends that I had were mutual ones. 
my best friend wasn't here. My sister isn't here. I'm, I don't really like my house. I don't like this life. Like I was like, what is going on? And it was just this blindsiding moment because I advocated and I spoke so highly of choosing a life that you want and that you're passionate and that you love. And suddenly I'm like, the fuck is going on? I'm sitting in my kitchen being like, I don't want to do any of this. And it was this moment I was like, if I could do anything, what does that look like? Now, as we all know, when you go through a divorce, there are moments where you should not make choices. So I decided not to make that choice, but I did know it was one choice that I was going to be making shortly. So I literally packed everything up and I sold everything that I could. And my gut feeling was I need to go to Hawaii. It was the middle of winter and I was like, I'm going, I'm doing it. And my family went, we'll take the cat. It was the only animal I owned. There was nothing to tie me to the country. And I was like, I need to, and I knew that I needed to know who I was again, because in the in that seven years, you become an, part of an entity. And I suddenly realized that I wasn't even represented in that entity anymore. Mm-hmm. So you that lost was yourself. The, yeah, I had no idea who I was anymore, and I thought the only way I can do that is also like also the looks and the people of like, you okay? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> the head tilt. Yeah, <clears throat> I heard. Mm, are you okay? <laughs> so I was also done with that, and I was like, I just want to be somewhere I've never been and have new experiences. So I had a garage sale where I put five dollars on everything and sold whatever I could gave the rest to him and I walked away and went, I'm going overseas. And I booked a flight and I was on a flight within three months of the breakup. Mm. And what better place to find yourself than Hawaii? Oh, I didn't. I had a full-blown panic attack on the plane. I was like, what am I doing? What's wrong with me? Like, what the hell are you doing? You're giving everything up that you uh, had nothing. Like, there was no reason for me to be worried about this. But I was like, I'm checking into a hotel in Hawaii. I was like, I don't even know Hawaii. What am I doing? And it was just like the first five days, I was like, ah, got it. And that time in that first five days, I was at the beach um, and I felt the feeling of hope that I that there was a future past this and this wasn't going to be the biggest thing in my life for always this is gonna be pretty big for a while this is gonna be a real disruptor just for a little while um but after that I was I was pretty good it was like it was, so, I could see a way up um I love that about the beach so what else sparked joy for you in those early days embarrassingly uh, kissing other people really helped immensely. Oh, that, 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 I'd be embarrassed about that. No, <laughs> no I, yeah, you know, because there's not much that sparks joy for a little while, is there? Because it's so, what well, no one tells you has boring divorces. Hi, we're just going to get you to fill out, you know, they're going to, it's, and it's so um, complicated because it's the worst breakup you'll ever have. You're fatal for six months and then someone sends you an invoice. Like, it's just not fair. <laughs> You're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> So um, for me, it was just sleep was big um, and just learning to rest when I was tired because I tried so hard to push through for so long. Food, amazing. Video calling other people, kissing random really attractive men. That was an exclusive yes for me. Um, And then I bought a new vibrator. Things felt better. <laughs> That's always a good idea. Yeah, ten out of ten for that idea. That was great. <laughs> totally, I'm with you there, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And so what about, you must have had some fears at that point in time as well. What was going on there? It was, it really was that, you know, I, I checked, I took myself out of an equation of at 33. Like I was like all of the things I, what I felt like I'd worked for, the education, the career and things, I, you know, took a real year out. And I was like, what does this mean long-term? I'm also living off some money coming in. I'm very fortunate that I have a, a, a career that I can do from a laptop, but also it wasn't a full salary. <laughs> like it was not a full salary. I also owned a house in Canberra. So I was trying to figure out like what I was going to do with that. And I had tenant issues. I had, fa- I was away from all my friends and family. I didn't have a great support network physically around me, but I was finding other people to meet and those things. But I think the greatest fear that really came up for me was just that this was going to be a defining moment. I had seen women in, even in my family who had gone through a divorce and had never recovered and just either, you know, and that become, you know, talking about addiction and talking about just, just tragic life choices after something and, you know, making it almost part of their identity, which I was dead set against doing that. Um, but also just how this was going to, how this was going to work. I didn't have a plan. I'm talking, I had a ticket, I had a ticket to go to Hawaii and then a ticket to San Francisco. And I was like, I'll figure it out. Mm. So some, there were some real fears, but I think all of them were legitimately correct. And probably uh, it would be, it would have been dumb if I didn't have them. Yeah. They sound like perfectly justified, mm. natural fears. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Um, and so, you know, you just sort of touched on that you didn't really see what your future looked like at that point. Um, no. Did you have anything? Did you have any kind of desires of how you wanted it to turn out or any idea of, you know, what you hoped might happen or were you just completely blank after the, you know, the next few days? My, my, um, the only hope that I had out of it was that, I wouldn't be changed. Like that was my only hope that I would find out who I was again and that this wouldn't be the only like a, a defining negative moment that my personality changed after. And I'm proud to say that after two and a bit years now or about two two years, two months now of separating, I'm good. Like I feel like I'm the best version of myself and that I – um, happier, re- legitimately happier than I've ever been. And I know we'll talk about that more in a minute. But what was interesting to me at that time and probably still interesting to me now is that when you separate with someone, you aren't just divorcing or separating from that person. You're actually separating from a future that you thought you were going to have. So the grief for me wasn't about I, I'm not with him anymore. I'm not somebody's wife anymore. You lose the person who legitimately has to give a shit. So when you're saying, oh, I've had a bad day, they kind of have to turn around and be like, tell me about what happened. So you've missed yeah, that sounding. Okay. Just, yeah, yeah. Just that sounding board of, hey, I'm thinking we should go on holidays. Do you want to go to Perth or do you want to go to Brisbane? And then you have this discussion and you agree together. Now I had to make those decisions by myself. Firstly, a little weird, but you know, you had to get a handle on doing that again. The the other thing that um, that really kind of, so I'm grieving this kind of future that I thought I had and I still, and I didn't know what it was going to look like, but that future for me, I was like, it's overseas. It's going to be, I'm going to live in LA. I'm going to live in New York. I'm going to get a visa. It's all great. And then COVID happened. And not only did my divorce then take another eight months longer than it should have because of COVID, it also meant that I was 
suddenly pushed into a location that I didn't really want to be in. And don't get me wrong, Melbourne is better than Canberra, but it wasn't my plan. <laughs> Sorry, so, Canberra. Yeah, I love you guys. You know I love you. I do love Canberra. I was back there this week, but I legitimately in the middle of May have respite. So, no, hard pass on that. Um, but I haven't Wait, so actually. Can you focus on that for a second because yeah. before we come back from, before COVID hit, Mm. and you were forced to come back to Australia, there was a Viper Room story that we do need to just shoehorn in right now. Yeah, I knew we were coming back to this as well, for sure, for sure, for sure. So I had these great moments where I was very lucky that I'm connected quite strongly into the business world. So when I went to other cities, I was able to connect with people that I knew through other people. So I was often kind of given that invite, a friend of a friend would invite me to something. So we'd meet a heap of different people, which is incredible. Um, I did this around the US. So my kind of home bases were LA and Austin, Texas, were there, and I'm so feminist and 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 liberal. So I'm surprised that I liked Texas, but it turns out it's the most liberal place on the planet. So that's why I love that. Wow. Um, and I met so many cool people. I got to go to Canada. I did road trips. I hired cars for long periods of time. It was just I lived out of, literally out of a suitcase. One of my girlfriends says to me, "I'm going to come and meet you. Let's do a couple of weeks in LA." And I was like, "Let's go." Here's the thing about LA you never quite know what, how your night's going to go. So after we have dinner with one of her acting friends, I say to her, listen, about a mile up the road is the Viper Room. And I have always, always wanted to go. And she said, let's go. <sighs> we are standing <laughs> on the corner and we're standing on the corner and there is a guy and I like to think I'm funny. So there was a guy holding an amp and a guitar case. And I said to him, it's about 11.30 at night. I was like, are you in a band? <laughs> he laughs and he's like, yeah, I am actually. And he said, we're playing at the Viper Room tonight. Me? Oh, really? We're about to go and get tickets to your show. I never knew who this guy was. I had no clear idea who he was. I have no singular idea. And he's like, oh, my God. So he gives us these tickets free tickets to the show and VIP passes in. We went to the bar, we have a couple of drinks, and I start talking to another Aussie. I'm not going to give any more information than that, and <laughs> I, I probably won't ever give any more information than that. But this person and I hit it off extremely well. And to say he was an NRL player would be incredibly accurate, and to say <laughs> he was so hot I could barely stand the conversation is even more accurate. So um, we get along really very well and he, there's no nice way to say this and I feel like we're among friends. So we decided to have sex in the bathroom, which seems right. brilliant. Well, he's an NRL player. I mean, that's, yeah. well, we're not silly about it. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'll take the opportunity. It's going to be fun. Anyway, long story short, um, we broke a sink, which came off a wall, flooded the bathroom. Oh. Now, at this point, well, really washing your hands, I imagine. Obviously, um, yeah, we just we were just in there uh, thumb wrestling, if you will. And um, <laughs> he, uh, we, it's so flooded. We were like, "Oh, that's funny," and we put our clothes back on, which are soaking wet, right? <laughs> like this is not subtle in any way. So we just closed the door. We're like, "This is not our problem." <laughs> Close the door while the bathroom is flooding. Anyway, um, the security guards come over and say, "Excuse me, did you have anything to do with the flood?" And we were like, "No." 
looking like drowned rats, the only <laughs> two people in the entire place who were very wet. And I'm like, never been to the bathroom in my life. What are you talking about? Anyway, we got thrown out um, and they had photos of our licenses. So I actually have a lifetime ban from the Viper Room because of that night. That That is a story worth waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> and again... Amazing. healing isn't linear so do what you have to do just and also like you're in LA live your best life anyway I saw that guy a few months later um on the front cover of a magazine getting a divorce from his wife so uh <laughs> not shocked <laughs> shocking yeah <laughs> I was blindsided by that didn't legitimately didn't know he was married at all I did, I do love though that I think you know what you're saying is is accurate that healing isn't linear and also Sometimes uh, one of the best ways to heal is to have a caper or two, mm. to have an adventure, to just like go do stuff that you probably mm. wouldn't have done six months before. <laughs> oh, and this is not a conversation, one, I ever thought I would have, but two, I would ever promote um, and be like, this is what happened. But I think this is the reality of the things that I never saw. I saw people talking about like divorce is going to change you and don't let it and you have to look at it like water. Like, fuck no, it's so hard. No one ever, t- but it's also so boring and it's also so generically crap across the board. You were living this this moment of hell that just won't seem to end and there's another discussion about who owns the fucking cutlery set and who owns the thing and you know my cousin's wedding's coming up she's said she still wants you to be there are you gonna i'm gonna do any of that someone dies do you go to the funeral out of respect like this stuff doesn't end and it just kept going and no one tells you this this is the biggest bugbear i have with getting separated and i know that i'm fortunate that i didn't have children and that i could walk away from my life i'm i'm that is not lost on me and I read Eat, Pray, Love and I got really mad because it just seemed like she, like I could relate to so much of it but I was like this is even a little bit too woo-woo because there's no discussion about how much it just cripples you and whatever you need to do to get through that as long as you are not hurting yourself or hurting anyone else, go and do the thing. It's rough. I'm not going to say it's not. If anyone's going to speak about this, I was like, I will happily take the stage on this one and be like, this is terrible and you're going to make bad choices. And downloading Tinder is a really good idea if you do it safely. You have to enjoy your life and move on from it and that part of that is going to be, you know, making a few mistakes along the way and, you know, I don't consider any of that a mistake. Am I going to try to get back into the Viper Room? Probably. <laughs> I'm going to go. I hope so. <laughs> just, just put my hair in a bun and hope for the best. But I'm not really hoping my photo is not on the wall because I did say like a wall of shame as we were being evicted. And I was like, pretty fun night. Also, my, like, I was so grateful my credit card details went on the bar. Like I didn't have to go and be like, yeah, I need my credit card first. Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, but I, I love what you've said there because it's really very true and it's something we're really passionate about too is talking about the the really tragic moments of it that, the grief, the hard times, the fact that you're just putting out one fire after another. Mm. But at the end of all of that, there is this sort of amazing thing that comes at the end, you know, or after all this drudge and after all this time. And so on that, how things turned out for you? Positive, which, you know, two years ago, if you'd asked me, I, I probably couldn't articulate what I want would would want for myself um and I certainly dealt with more than my fair share during COVID I was in Melbourne which is 
as most people are aware, was the most lockdown, like the hardest lockdown in 2020 happened in Melbourne. So I moved to Melbourne. I got stuck in Australia. I came out for Christmas to the bushfire situation, um, which is why I ended up staying because my family's property was affected. And I was like, I'm going to help you guys build fences for a week for an extra month. It's totally fine. Wasn't fine by that point. It's February and the world's kind of changing so rapidly and my flights and everything were cancelled so I found myself living in Melbourne in, in an apartment and and just finding silence for the first time in 12 months and that for me was actually the biggest godsend so I went back to Canberra this is kind of fortuitous that we're having this conversation now. So the, the home that I left sort of two years earlier and was currently, you know, two years ago, Jemima was packing up and dealing with the mess and that, and, you know, just all the bits and pieces and the, the cutlery sets and the dinner sets and the whose Tupperware is this? And oh my God, who the hell gave us this present? This is ugly. Um, I was dealing with all of that stuff. And now I went back to, I went back last week and I don't even recognize that city anymore. Like I've grown and developed so much that I looked at this and I thought, I don't, I feel like I was looking at an, an older, like a sort of out of body experience of this town and going like, I can't believe I lived here as long as I did. My life now is, I have more money than I thought I would ever have in my entire life. My career is thriving. I'm living in an apartment that is opposite the ocean in Melbourne. I get to go every night and put my feet in the ocean. I get to run along the beach where I was landlocked and I'm such an ocean baby, like I just need to be near water. I am healthier and happier than I've ever been. I don't have it figured out. I don't have the big plans. And for two years I've really been at the whim of the circumstances that have hit me and not maybe driving as much as I previously have but I'm now fixing that and now making that the priority of I could do anything now that COVID seems to be taking a chill. She, she seems to have at least left us alone a little bit um, in Melbourne. It's, it's um, I've just got my freedom back and I've got a new life that I never thought I would have. And I'm so incredibly grateful for everything that I went through to the last two years, because I could, without any of that, none of this exists. Wow. Yeah, that's magnificent. That is, mm. I think I might have something in my eye over here. <laughs> that is, it's okay. <laughs> it's really, um, it is really amazing to hear that and um, oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. Well um, done. And, you know, we're, we're big believers in, well, we like to say, you know, we turned our divorces into the best thing that ever happened to us and it sounds like you've done the same. I mean, it's such a, if you look at it the right way, it's such an opportunity for growth and for, for reassessing what's important to you and what you really want for your life. Um, and it sounds like you've done a spectacular job of that. <laughs> and, it's, um, and it's not easy. Please, please don't let me sound like I'm, I'm skipping over tears because that's a, it's a lot of tears. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of admitting to yourself. You know, I might blame my ex-husband for some stuff, but equally I played a part in all of this. So what's my responsibility? And talking to yourself about that is not fun. Having conversations about how not to ruin future relationships and future marriages and future 
even, you know, friendships and friends with benefits with people. How do I not bring my issues into those sort of things? Like this is the stuff that you have to deal with. And one of the things I see so frequently is people jumping into fresh relationships. And I was like, oh, that's really dangerous because you're not learning anything about yourself and you're just replacing yeah. the person with someone else and trying to fix something that's that's bigger than you think it is. So, yeah, yeah, that time and that work's so valuable and so necessary to be the next version of yourself. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's I think, you know, we, we also see a lot of women focusing on what's wrong with their ex. And the problem with that is that's no longer your problem. That's no longer your business. That's mm-hmm. now somebody else's problem. <laughs> all you can do is like, I mean, we all have a role to play in our breakups, you know, whether it's stuff that we accepted, whether it's stuff that we contributed, you know, nobody nobody is innocent and and we all have opportunities to take what we've experienced and learned mm-hmm. and move forward in a way that's constructive for us. Um, there's a Facebook group that I won't name that I'm a little bit obsessed with just uh, from a, a market research perspective <laughs> with women who have been through divorce and all they do all day every day is talk about what their ex is doing. Um, and every, it, it every makes me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did the biggest eye roll, which I know is translate <laughs> onto podcast, but I was like, oh, my gosh, because what are you learning from that? Yeah. Well, yeah. and where do you heal and where do you go inwards and look at the things that, you know, you need to do for yourself and where do you learn about yourself? And Yeah, eyes front. Yeah. Stay in your also, like, how does it help you just sitting there obsessing about that person? And don't get me wrong, you might, you know, I, none of us here – I'm sure I might just be totally outing myself and I apologize if I am. But none of us here haven't just been like, I'm just going to go and check his Facebook maybe. Just, you know. It might be like a six year or two years later, you're like, and, you know, I had a sneaky look recently and nothing's happened for over a year. And I was like, yeah, maybe he died. Who knows? Um, but it was this moment of, you know, we want it, it fulfills something, but it doesn't help. It's not fulfilling the need that you have to heal. And it's just, you know, I think when women, tend to lean towards it's his fault he did something he made the mistake you're missing this opportunity and yes maybe it is their mistake maybe it is but you're involved in this too what did you not see what did you not notice what did you let slide for the 400th time and also how is this going to affect your future relationships because if you're going to how do you grow from this how do you stop this from happening again and I think I I read a quote about divorce and about because it's such a supremely shitty time in everyone's life is that one day it just won't be so bad, but make sure it's not the same. You're not having the same divorce in two years time. And you should, you know, if you, if you look back at, I I wouldn't even date my ex now. Like the person, if I met him now was like, Hey, what's up? And he's like, Hey, you want to go on a date? I'm like, no, cute boy. Absolutely (laughs) not. Like I'm so far developed through that personal shitty journey that you have to kind of go through to be a better person that I don't actually think he's my type anymore. Mm. Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, I was married or together with my ex for 16 years. And, you know, I think of the person I was at the beginning of that 16 years and then the person that I was at the end, I mean, it's, it's absolute worlds apart and, you know, it's hard. It, it's sort of hard for you to, grasp what's going on and you think my god you know how did this happen and then it's like well wow how did it not happen if if you're not evolving together 
it's like no surprise really that it that it happens because we're we're so different in that period of time. So it's so dangerous too because I think we've created this society that has romanticized relationships. And this is a lot of the work and stuff that you know you go through and that people say like, oh you it's the first question people ask me, are you dating? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> Business is going well. I'm very happy. Yes, I just went on a work trip. It was good. I enjoyed it. The cat's well. I've got my own, my own house. Uh, oh, am I dating? And yeah, it's not even on the pr- like. No, I'm not. No one's rocking my world, but no one's destroying it either. It's kind of the throwaway line here. But we've romanticized <laughs> this idea of a relationship as being the be all to end all, and I think we're starting to kind of turn that corner now. You know, uh, oh, our grandparents never got divorced. I'm like, yeah, because my grandma tolerated my grandfather hitting her and tolerated his infidelity and tolerated bullshit that I've uh, over, you know, and they, you know, I had a man once say to me, this guy was such a winner, such a good date. He was like, I like the old timey values and how old people, like older women used to take care of men. I remember my grandmother pulling me. Yeah, right. Like red flag. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> Old Jemima would be like, we're getting married in the fall. Um, <laughs> Jemima was like, absolutely not. And my grandma pulled me aside and she used to say, don't ever do things for a man. Make them do themselves. Like our, our grandmothers told us to not do the things that they had been tricked into doing because it was a socially acceptable thing. So I think this is starting to become and part of the reason I want to be part, part of this conversation is that we're just having this big turn and strong women are able to get divorced now and be like, this sucks, not going to say it doesn't, but it's actually probably going to make you a better person at the end of the day. It's going to get easier. That's a, a, a great line to um, start wrapping up on. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Jemima. Do you mind if we fire fast five questions at you if it, to finish us off? Okay, I got this. Okay, let's go. Right. <laughs> There's no wrong answer. What's the hardest thing about divorce? Uh, telling other people when they don't know and they say like, oh, how's your ex-husband going? You're like, I don't know. I, he's dead. But not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, who got you through your darkest days? My best friend and my sister were incredible. What's been your proudest moment since divorce? Uh, I bought my own house. So I bought my second property at 35. Ooh, well done. Uh, and what's been the biggest gift from your divorce? Freedom. I've, I can make every decision for myself now and I've learned to trust my gut on those as well. And what advice would you give someone going through a tough breakup right now? <sighs> it's so cliche, but it gets better. It, it just, you, you have to do the work right now, darling, whatever's happening for you. And if you're thinking about getting out, do the work to, to make that happen and it sucks, but it's worth it. Mm, amazing. Um, thanks again for joining us, Jemima. You've been incredible. And, you know, you truly sound like someone who's turned her divorce into the best thing that's ever happened to her. Cheers to you. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Champagne Divorce Party. If you're going through a tough breakup and would like support from industry experts and a community of like-minded women, come over and join our divorce club at champagnecartel.com slash divorce. Catch you next time.